are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. This is episode number 77, recorded in the middle of January, the first program of the new year 2018. Well, as you probably know, the format of this podcast is that I entertain questions from you, the listeners and readers of the E-Watchman. We have a call-in question concerning the significance, the meaning of the two witnesses in the 11th chapter of Revelation. So let's listen to his question. Hello, Watchman. I am just curious. I don't know if you've ever covered this before, but are the two witnesses actual people or is it some kind of symbolic thing? Um, That's all I really had. Thanks. Thank you for your question, my friend. I can say that the two witnesses are real persons, but I don't think they're literally two individuals. I think it is the uh, the composite body, if you will, of those who are sealed, anointed, and, and chosen at that time. It's unfortunate, but uh, Jehovah's Witnesses really have no appreciation of the significance of these two witnesses. And that is, of course, because the Watchtower has taught that uh, the two witnesses have already come and gone. (laughs) It's hard to believe, but uh, they have explained it into meaninglessness, as they have uh, much of Revelation. According to the Watchtower, the two witnesses came on the scene after Christ came in 1914 and the brothers were persecuted and you know, Russell or Rutherford went to prison and so on and so forth. And <laughs> uh, I, I don't intend to ridicule them, but we can be certain that the two witnesses did not come on the scene in 1918 or whenever. First, it would be good to consider what a witness is and what are they witnesses of, perhaps would be the better question. And when do they become witnesses? Well, as you know, the the entire book of Revelation is to reveal the things to take place during the Lord's Day. And the very expression, revelation, taken from the Greek word apocalypsis, means unveiling. It is the unveiling of Christ, the revelation of Jesus. You know, that word apocalypsis doesn't just pertain to the book of Revelation. The Apostle Paul referred to the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's synonymous with the manifestation and also the parousia of Jesus Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses have been conditioned, is the polite word. Uh, The real word is deluded, into imagining that the parousia of Christ is invisible. 
There's no, you won't find that expression in the scriptures, invisible parousia. That is a counterfeit term. Then the apostle Peter said they will exploit you with counterfeit words. Well, take, take the word that is translated as manifestation in the New World Translation. That word comes from the Greek word epiphania. It's where our English word epiphany comes from. And if you look it up in the Strong's, epiphania means an appearance. Just as the word manifestation means that something appears that was hidden. It is made manifest, visible. You know, in the first century, Paul referred to, to Jesus being manifest in the flesh. People saw him. They touched him. He was manifest to them. So, in his return... In his revelation, his manifestation, wouldn't we expect him to also be visible? Again, that word epiphania, it's translated in the King James as the brightness of his coming. Think about that, the brightness of his coming. Have we experienced that with Jesus' invisible parousia? How could those two things harmonize, an invisible presence compared to the brightness of of his coming, the revelation. And as I've pointed out before, parousia, manifestation, revelation are all virtually interchangeable. So if we can get this out of our minds that Jesus became invisibly present in 1914 and has been invisibly present for these 120 three or four years now, if we can get that out of our mind and anticipate a future parousia, a future manifestation, a future revelation of Jesus Christ, then we can begin to appreciate who these two witnesses are and what they witness and the work that they will do. But as regards Jesus being seen, that's true. In the ninth chapter of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul refers to the second time he appears. Well, Jesus made a first appearance, didn't he, when he was on the earth, when he was manifest in the flesh. But why did Paul say the second time he appears? And why doesn't the Watchtower really emphasize that? Now, I know some people may think, well, yeah, Jesus is going to appear. Everyone will see him. It says, every eye will see him and those who pierced him. But that's not literal. And we know it's not literal because Jesus told his apostles on his last evening with them in the flesh that the world would behold him no longer, but that they would see him. And that certainly proved to be true. After Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to people. He became manifest to them in different guises. Uh, he wasn't recognized at times, like Mary mistook him for a gardener, and two of the apostles, or rather disciples, were walking on a road, and a man came, comes up and starts conversing with them, and they didn't recognize him as Jesus. But the interesting thing is, Jesus did not reveal himself to anyone at that time who had not already become a believer. So during the course of the 40 days he was on the earth, 
he manifested himself to over 500 people. And they were his witnesses. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 that were gathered there. And no doubt the 500 who had saw him ascend, they couldn't all crowd into that tiny upper room. <laughs> they would have been anointed at some time, probably on that same day when 2,000 were baptized or 3,000, whatever. They became Jesus' witness. And they were filled with spirit and gave a magnificent witness. Stephen, you recall, he became the first ministerial servant. He he gave such a witness that the Jews were just enraged and gnashing their teeth, and they killed him. And they killed the uh, Apostle James, the brother of John, shortly after Pentecost. So now let's imagine a future presence of Christ and his post-resurrection appearances establish a pattern for what is to come during the parousia. Remember that parousia means to come alongside. Jesus told his apostles that he would be with them. This is the last thing he told them before he ascended. I will be with you all the days until the conclusion of the system of things. So Jesus has been with his true disciples. His coming alongside them during the conclusion must be something far different than his simply being with them up until the conclusion. Let's rethink this witnessing bit. The two witnesses must witness Jesus' epiphania. They will witness his manifestation. And, well, the Apostle John said, at present we don't know what we shall be, but when he is manifest, we shall be like him. We'll see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, you can't see a spirit. And that's true. Spirits are invisible. But spirits can manifest themselves. When Moses was up on the mountain, and Jehovah is said to have come down upon the mountain, and Moses asked to see God's face, and God said, no man may see my face and yet live, because he's simply too glorious. And we're, you know, we can't even look at the sun for more than a few seconds without burning our eyes out. And you can imagine the glory of the creator of all the billions of suns in the universe. You know, it's a loving thing that he would manifest himself to us. It'd be like a bunch of hydrogen bombs going off or something. Who knows? But Jehovah did tell Moses to turn his back and he said he'd shield him with his hand and he would pass behind him. And Moses got a glimpse of Jehovah's glory as, as much as a fragile, frail human could tolerate. Of course, the spirits see Jehovah face to face. That's something else. But Moses came down from the mountain and his face was glowing from his we call it a close encounter. And he had to put a veil over his face, didn't he? Because his fellow Hebrews could not look upon him. He was frightening. What human glows like this, right? Well, it's interesting that uh, 
Moses turns up in the transfiguration. What does this have to do with the two witnesses? Well, if you read the account there in the 11th chapter of Revelation, the two witnesses are described performing miracles that Moses and Elijah performed. It says that they turn the water into blood, which is what Moses did, if you recall, before Pharaoh. And the two witnesses, it says they shut up the heavens that it may not rain. Well, that's what Elijah did. And it didn't rain until he gave the command. So here are Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And who else was there? James, John, and Peter. Those three witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Later, the Apostle Peter, who was on the mountain, explained that he said it was not by following artfully contrived false stories that we acquainted you with the power and the presence of our Lord Jesus. See that power and presence, Greek word parousia, he said, no, but it was by having been eyewitnesses of his magnificence. And they heard the voice of Jehovah say, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. So the, you get it? They were eyewitnesses of the transfiguration, which was a type or a foregleam of the parousia. Peter was not an eyewitness of an invisible parousia, was he? <laughs> How could that be? No. So Moses and Elijah appeared in this vision, and, and that's what it was. It wasn't really Moses and Elijah. Somehow the apostles knew them to be such. Maybe Jesus referred to them by name. At any rate, the two witnesses come to symbolize those who will see Christ, just as Peter, James, and John did. And they, and it's interesting, Jesus told them not to tell anyone the vision until he had been glorified. And after Jesus was resurrected, of course, Peter, James, John, and all the apostles saw Jesus and became his witnesses. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter got up and explained to the crowd that even though the Jews had handed Jesus over to be impaled, God raised him up from the dead. And he said it on a couple of occasions, of which fact we are witnesses. So during the parousia, he will reveal himself to the chosen ones and they will be his witnesses. He will come alongside them. And his being alongside them, conversely, means they will be alongside him. And that's what the scriptures say. Go back to the 11th chapter of Revelation. Uh, there's a footnote that takes you to uh, Zechariah, the fourth chapter. And it speaks of the two symbolic olive trees, which is what the two witnesses are said to represent. And the angel explained to Zechariah, These are the two anointed ones who stand alongside the Lord of the whole earth. 
that's pretty amazing, isn't it? But they're not in heaven. You would think they, they would be in heaven because the vision shows these two uh, lampstands and olive trees in heaven. But the two witnesses, which are symbolized by these heavenly things, are on earth. They're dressed in sackcloth on earth. So when Jesus comes alongside them, they are said to be alongside him as well. And although Jesus will not be manifest to anyone else but them, they will then speak for Jesus as one mouth, as the body of Christ at that time. So the two witnesses represent all of those who would be sealed during that concluding phase. And instead of preaching the good news, they are to give a witness to the governors and kings, to the officials of the world, that the kingdom has finally come. Jesus spoke about this in the 21st chapter of Luke. And after giving, you know, the sign of nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, he says, but before all these things happen, people will lay their hands on you and persecute you, handing you over to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for the sake of my name. It will result in your giving a witness. That's what the two witnesses do, right? Therefore, resolve in your hearts not to rehearse beforehand how to make your defense. Now, it's true, Jehovah's Witnesses have gone to court to, <laughs> among other things, defend their right to preach. But do you think they've ever gone to court without rehearsing, without lawyers? <laughs> you know, that, this is not what is fulfilling prophecy. And sadly, uh, more frequently now, officials of Jehovah's Witnesses are before officials trying to explain <laughs> why thousands of children have been sexually abused under their watch. But that's another topic, isn't it? But go back to the occasion with Stephen, who was no doubt a witness of Jesus' resurrection, filled with Holy Spirit, and said the Jews were opposing him, disputing with him, and they could not hold their own against him because he was full of Jehovah's Spirit just like Samson was in a physical way. And that's a foregleam, again, because right before Stephen died, he had a vision. He said, Behold, I see the Son of Man, the right hand of God. He saw, right? A manifestation, epiphania. So that's, that's interesting, isn't it? And then Jesus went on to say of these witnesses of his who will not be able to be opposed by any human. He says, moreover, you will be handed over even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all peoples because of my name. But not even a hair of your heads will perish by your endurance. You will preserve your lives. Well, first, how could it be that a person could be handed over for death and not a hair of their heads would perish. Well, at that time, at the coming of Christ, that begins the resurrection. 
And Paul explained that the dead in Christ will rise first, but those who are living will pass into the spirit realm in the twinkling of an eye. So they literally do not die. They do have an immortal soul in a way once they're sealed. Of course, they leave their flesh behind. There's, they're not raptured or levitated up. Jesus was, but that was merely so they could see that he was going up. He dissolved his flesh, and now he's just as Jehovah, as a spirit. But anyway, the, the two witnesses are said to be killed as well, aren't they? And the people of the earth hate them so bad because they tormented them with their message, just as Stephen tormented the Jews and drove them to, into a murderous rage. So this final witness will just be too much <laughs> for, the, for the world to bear. And uh, they'll do away with these witnesses of God. But because they will have seen Christ and will be speaking in behalf of Christ, Christ will be living through them vicariously, you might say. And therefore, the world is brought into judgment. God has never really... Well, and when you think about it, God destroyed Jerusalem back in 70 because they killed his son and they persecuted and killed the disciples and some of the apostles. So that will be repeated and on, on a more global scale. And those final witnesses... Not just two, but the entire body whom Christ will fill with his Holy Spirit to give that final witness. They will all be killed. As that 11th chapter of Revelation goes on to say, there's a great earthquake and 7,000 people were killed. 7,000 represents the entire collective. And that goes back to the case of Elijah too. Remember he told Jehovah, you know, the queen is killed all your prophets, I'm the only one left. And he said, no, I have 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal. And in his writings to the Romans, Paul referred to that 7,000 and referred to that as the remnant of Israel at this time. And there that 7,000 show up again <laughs> in Revelation. It's interesting how all those things tie together, but we are living in momentous times, not because it's the last days, not because Christ came in 1914, but because I believe the end is near, the beginning of the end, the beginning of the conclusion during which time Christ will manifest himself, come alongside the chosen ones, and then everything changes. And of course, that will be outside the authority of the watchtower. And those who will see Christ will be persecuted by, just as Jesus said, you'll be thrown out of the synagogues. How does that apply in modern times? Hmm? Put out of the kingdom all, put out of the congregation. Disfellowshipped as an apostate. How dare you claim to have seen Christ? He's invisible. <laughs> and they won't accept a witness. But many will. And those are the ones whom Jesus will adjudge as being sheep 
for having done good to whom? To his brothers during their time of need. Goes back to Revelation 11, the chapter, the two witnesses dressed in sackcloth. They're persecuted, hounded, as Jesus said, you gave them something to drink, you visited them in prison. See how that all ties in? So many of the humble and meek will recognize and accept the witness that the collective of the two witnesses will give, that they have seen Jesus. You know, according to the law of Moses, every matter is established at the mouth of two witnesses. And Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. Well, we could say the same thing. The law and the prophets are until Jesus returns. And then we start this concluding period. And I think we're, we're on the edge of that. Well, you know, I think that's going to do it. I have some more questions here, but I also have some matters I have to tend to. So thank you for listening, and may Jehovah bless your search for the truth.